0: You know that
1: they all are coming
0: up. <laughs> um, when a calf's trying to suck his mother, yeah, and, and she's done with it, the calf will get in front of her, try and hold her up, uh-huh. so he can go back. And suck. So they're doing that. Thing. So that's what they're doing to the truck. It, this is one of the, this, this cow is one of the last of the Herefords. Okay. And she's older than i Yeah. Brother. I'm not going to sell her. These white ones, I, I've had some Charley cows. Yeah. They're okay, but they're not very smart. <laughs> so I got rid of them.
1: Welcome back to Open Range on the River. You just heard the voice of John Ladd explaining some of his cow's behavior to me. In this final episode, we're going to focus on the ranchers in this story. And you might be asking, why dedicate an entire episode to one group in this conflict? Well, my answer picks up right where we left off last episode. While groups like the Center for Biological Diversity believe there is no place for cows on public lands in the arid west, It's pretty unlikely that this will ever become the reality. The BLM will probably always lease out a substantial portion of its lands to ranchers. Over 250 million acres of public lands are leased out for grazing every year. It's one of the most pervasive uses on our public lands. And the ranchers in Cochise County kept telling me that they were one of the best partners the public has for conservation because they're the day-to-day managers of these public lands. They make a fair point here. The BLM's management decisions in the Sprinka and environmental groups' outrage over grazing have been covered by media outlets before. Locally in Cochise County, there's a lot of news coverage of the BLM's management decisions. But in all of this coverage, the ranchers' voices are barely present. This is partially due to the fact that these ranchers are pretty private and were skeptical of me when I first started reporting this story. They feel defensive. One of the first things John Ladd told me was he doesn't like talking with journalists because he doesn't want to share his opinion just to see someone else say he's wrong. I learned pretty quickly that they were all speaking with each other about whether or not to speak with me before returning any of my emails or calls. But for whatever reason, they decided that it was worth speaking with me to share their story. So here it is. This episode will be focused on these ranchers, who they are, why they feel defensive, and how they feel about the management of the land and the Sprinca. When I first started reporting on this, the ranchers I met with presented me with sort of a strange dichotomy. They were opposed to environmentalists and even used this term as a sort of dirty word. But they also saw themselves as conservationists in their own right and wanted to work together to ensure that these lands can be passed down to future generations. So why are they attacking the environmentalists if they also want to conserve the land? This goes back to the fact that they feel defensive. Ranching is a tough business, and environmental regulations from the government haven't always made life easy for them. The outspoken nature of some of the environmental groups has also put them in a defensive position. The Sprinca allotment holders feel defensive over their right to graze in the NCA, but the defensive sentiment goes beyond this. More generally, many of them feel like their way of life has fallen under a lot of public scrutiny lately. As part of my reporting, I sat down with John Ladd and one of his close friends, Bill Brake, John is in his 70s, and Bill in his 80s. They've both been ranching in southeastern Arizona for most of their lives. They described to me what they felt like was a change in public sentiment towards ranchers over the course of the years. Bill said that he thinks there was a significant shift a few decades ago when ranchers suddenly went from being on the offensive to being on the defensive.
2: We used to be in an offensive position when we were a state growing up. We, we were, uh, we, had a, we have three representatives in the legislature. 56 years ago, we probably had half the legislature. We have gone through an offensive position of helping grow the state. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're the ones that decided to put the highways in, and et cetera. And now we're strictly on a defensive. We are no longer an offensive industry. We are strictly defensive, and that's because of government regulations that really are political and not common sense.
1: Bill thinks that this is partially the rancher's own fault because they haven't been doing a good job at communicating with the public. But he's also worried about the future of the industry because he thinks no one in their right mind would want to go into ranching these days with all of its challenges and the bad rep he thinks it's getting amongst the general public.
2: I don't want to see this place look like Prescott. No. Now that Santa Cruz County is doing a major overlay because so many wineries are moving down here. hmm And uh, it it is, uh, and that's good. I'm not arguing that they're not bothering me and you yeah. will help. But what do you stop it? I don't want Sonoida Valley to turn into Prescott Valley or the valley south of us, which is really even a prettier valley, because it's a little hard to get to. Mm-hmm. But
1: where do you live? I live in Tucson right now. Do you live in Tucson? In Tucson, yeah. Okay. Well- Both Bill and John feel like the shift from an offensive position to a defensive position happened around 50 years ago. They said that it happened around the same time that more environmental regulations went into place and agencies like the BLM became less of a partner and more of a regulator. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, you said that 50 years ago, there was no regulating agencies out here. Well, that's not true. There was regulation,
2: but they didn't but they regulate. Were, yeah. Well,
0: they were partners.
2: That's probably the way to yeah. say it. They
0: mm-hmm. were our partners. Yeah, I, the, that came up the other day, but the only thing I can remember is, yeah, you still had to get a permit to drill a well, but that was it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, and you couldn't just go add cattle or take it off. You had to, they came in and checked, you, Yeah. You, but we've been doing mm-hmm. that all the time i get checked less now on that kind of stuff than, yeah then i mean that was the basis of what we did you know how, here's your allotment we want to know how you're going to run it yeah. and what your plans are and we're going to check on you occasionally yeah. to, to make sure you're following the plans we both agreed what we were going to do yeah.
1: increased environmental regulations seem to be behind a lot of their defensive feelings when I met up with John on his ranch, he told me that he was only making about 75 cents per pound of beef and it was costing him $6 a mile to haul his cows these days. It's a tough business. He highlighted the early 2000s as being a time when public sentiment really seemed to turn against cows and the environmental regulations really got hard to deal with.
0: So anyway, there, we made a, a big stride up until early 2000s. with. Mm-hmm promoting and uh, moving forward with the demand and supply and the health of everything. And then that's when the environmentalists got a hold. And so now we're reverting back to where they just, you know, cows fart and um, carbon imprint, imprint from when you till. For mm-hmm. a crop, yeah, and, you know, everybody's jumped through hoops to get around it, but it it isn't enough. They say, yeah, and by twenty fifty, you know, no crops, no cattle. Uh, well, you're gonna be hungry.
1: So, John said there that everything was going okay until the environmentalists got a hold of things. He's still not a fan of environmentalists. And the outspoken nature of some of the environmentalists is probably at least part of why ranchers like John feel defensive these days. You've all heard clips from my interviews with Robin Silver by this point, so you know he doesn't spare any words when accusing ranchers of lying and cheating. This has to be contributing to the rancher's defensive position on some level. John told me a story about meeting Robin at the gate to his property, and let's just say he's not a fan.
0: And a deputy that called me and said there's a man down here demanding that I let him in and I said don't do it and I said it's private property she said well <clears throat> he's adamant and I said well I'm, I'll be there in 20 minutes and I got down there and he, he was an asshole
1: that was him? yeah
0: so I, you know he said you you can't keep me out of here Blah. I, yeah I can it's private property and well this is federal money and I said I don't care I said this is mine and stay out so he left and then the, it was a woman deputy and i said "Who was that and she said that's robin super oh. oh he i'm ready to yeah. fight and i said yeah, you know you, you better understand private property buddy
2: yeah
0: and then about two or three days later my dad was down here my dad is a little different than i am but they ended up visiting him. and he wouldn't let him in either but so my dad gets home and he said that guy's a real
1: Many of the ranchers also told me that groups like the Center for Biological Diversity are helping give them a bad name. They said that most of the people who donate to groups like the Center and take up these causes automatically see them as the bad guys, but have never even been to the of themselves. And this comes back to the dichotomy I talked about in the beginning. Many of these ranchers don't like environmentalists, but they do see themselves as conservationists. Many of them wish the public would see them as partners in conservation, rather than the bad guys in the struggle to save the environment. This goes back to their claim that they're the best conservationists because they have to manage the land every single day. Here's Bill Brick, talking about why ranchers are the best partner the public has for conservation. I don't want to see
2: this place look like No. Now that Santa Cruz County is doing a major overlay because so many wineries are moving down here. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it it is, uh, and that's good. I'm not arguing that they're not bothering me, and you know, help yeah, but where do you stop it? I don't want Sonoida Valley to turn into Presca Valley or the valley south of us, which is really uh, even a prettier valley because it's a little harder to get to. Mm-hmm. But where do you live?
1: I live in Tucson right now.
2: Do you live in Tucson?
1: In Tucson. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, you remember Vale? Yeah. Vell used to be a place out there. I graduated the University of Arizona Mm -hmm. when they was they were still we're growing and somehow or another we got to get the public to to consider us an ally and help us manage this thing so our grandkids and great grandkids have a place to come back that they like and we like. And we gotta do it together. We gotta quit fighting each other.
0: 90% Yeah. 90% of ranchers and farmers are the best environmentalists
1: that we have. The Sprinka allotment holders I spoke with also brought up the role in conservation. When I spoke with Lance Claussen, the rancher who leases the Lucky Hills allotment, he told me about his role in the Hereford NRCD and all of the conservation work they try to do. He also told me that his ultimate hope is that people can work together to find a way to protect the river at the end of the day, even if they don't see eye to eye on how to do that now
3: since we've been this allotment owner we've done a ton of work um from fencing to waters to to the spike treatments to to the maintain maintenance of the roads um we've just done a lot of good out there i feel We're, we're providing seed to whitewater draw so that they can you know plant seed for for the migratory birds that come in i mean we, we are very conscious of, of nature, of the land, of the river, and, and we respect that. And, and so my, my key is instead of working against each other, working with each other, because a lot of the times we have the same vision. We may have different ideas of how to get there, but we have the same vision.
1: Wyatt Shannon and Matt Ford leased the Baba Kamari allotment from the BLM. They are not part of the NRCD, but when I met with them, they told me about how they were looking into only using the river pasture on the Sprinka allotment every other year to try and mitigate the impacts of grazing. They were conscientious of their cattle's impact on the land and didn't want to see it destroyed.
4: Yeah, and that's what we've even talked about every so many years, just depending on how much rain and stuff we get through the year. Mm -hmm and stuff of even rest in that pasture like we did last year give it a year before we put anything down there again and Mm -hmm. stuff because that's what we do with all the other ones anyways yeah rest and rotation on all of them while we can so that's what we are talked about being a plant on that anyway
1: yeah okay yeah
4: Graze it for a couple of years and then rest it a year. Yeah. You know, depending on how much rain we
1: get, obviously. While the allotment holders told me about their conservation efforts, they also felt defensive over the ongoing efforts to strip them of their grazing rights.
3: Good. I'm good.
1: Good. Yeah. So I'm glad we were finally able to connect.
3: <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry it's taking so
1: long. No, no problem. Yeah, yeah no, this is great. Um, so yeah, there's just, you have the Lucky Hills allotment, correct? We do, yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask you, I mean, a few questions about the allotment specifically. And then what I'm also trying to get a sense of is kind of why ranching is important to you and why being able to continue to do so in this location is important to you. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I think, first of all, with the Lucky Hills allotment, um, is that a newer allotment that you guys have acquired
3: um, so the allotment is extremely old. It's been around for a long time, but right we, did. we recently purchased it. Um, when I say recent, it's been like two and a half years now.
1: Okay, yeah. So, so they said that they were responsible allotment holders who took care of the land and that they were being unfairly singled out over trespass cows in the river. Here's Matt Ford talking about the lawsuits. I just wonder why... Where- Enough's going to be enough for these people, you know what I mean? Don't, I don't know. They
2: don't, you know, care that they're ruining somebody's livelihood, you know? They just, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to say anything bad. But they got all the money in the world back in there. and Two dummies like him and I go in debt in the ranch in the first year. And to...
1: The other thing that became evident when talking to these ranchers was... It's not just a job for them, it's a way of life and an identity. I was welcomed into two other homes and saw just how rooted their lives are in ranching. When sitting in their homes, I couldn't help but notice all of the cowboy symbolism that surrounded me. Their walls had pictures of horses and cowboys hanging on them, napkin holders were in the shape of horseshoes, even some of the kitchen chairs had horses carved into them. Here are some of the ranchers talking about their history with ranching and the pride they take in the profession. have you been ranching your whole
4: life pretty much yeah yeah um both sides of my family my mom and dad's side both were um did ranching my mom's family they uh settled the gila valley over there in safford
1: okay yeah they've
4: been around there for a long time my grandpa he they had a dairy farm and cattle and horses and uh one of her brothers was uh, rode saddle bronc courses and stuff. And yeah. So it's been. And then on my dad's side, my grandpa he ran ranches. The sands
2: and stuff are probably here too. Than I do, um, but I ride low and see what I
1: see and what I know. You know. Yeah. So yeah, have you been ranching your whole life as what well? Was coming in from.
3: Correct. They're not. They're not at Charleston there's a few but those are cat those aren't even our cattle yeah and so they're and i don't want to put names out there i'm not i don't need to put names i know whose cattle they are um and so um yeah um the fact that that these four allotments are being singled out is really i think it's really unfair um And, uh, you know, I think if we all work as a team, we could find some common ground on, uh, you know, conserving the river,
1: protecting it. Another thing that these ranchers took pride in was feeding people. When I drove out to Bill's ranch, he had a sign at the turnoff from the main road that proudly stated, This ranch feeds 1,640 American families. He told me that he hopes this sign can help bring some positive attention to the local ranching community. When I spoke with Lance, he also brought up the fact that he takes pride in feeding people. So to wrap this all up, the local ranching community is feeling defensive, both in general and over the efforts to strip them of their grazing rights in the Sprinka. They take a great deal of pride in their way of life, and while they're not always the biggest fans of environmentalists, a lot of them have expressed a desire to work together to preserve the Sprinka. So is there a way for all of these groups to work together going forward? That's the big question that remains. The topic of cows in the Sprinka has gotten pretty heated in the last few years, and more lawsuits from the Center for Biological Diversity are likely coming soon. But is there a way that these groups could work together going forward? Could the BLM step in to facilitate this? Or could the environmentalists and ranchers find common ground to work together and manage the land if the BLM continues to be absent in its management practices? We can't answer these questions now. Only the future will tell us what the answers will be. But asking them now might lay the groundwork for a future where these two groups who are often painted as diametrically opposed to one another can work together to conserve the nation's first riparian national conservation area. Thanks for joining me on this journey through the ongoing debate over cows in the Sprinka. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did and maybe learned something along the way. (laughs)
2: Oh, <laughs> my